You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Jim. And I'm Matt. Thanks for tuning in once again for our third episode. We got some cool things in store for today. We're going to be talking to Pastor Jared Coods later on. And we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to catch up with each other a little bit and find out what we've been working on. A lot of what we've been doing so far has been theoretical ministry. Uh, we've been talking about philosophy behind it. But today we thought it'd be cool just to see what that actually looks like in Matt and my ministry. So we'll talk a little bit about what we have been working on. But before we get into any of that, uh, we have launched a Twitter account because it's 2016. So if you want to get in touch with Matt or I, or if you have any suggestions on topics for us to talk about in the future, you can find us at Pastoral Calling on Twitter. And uh, that's a good place to also find all of the updates for episodes and any information about the podcast. So check us out at Pastoral Calling. You can also email us at pastoralcalling at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and uh, leave us a nice review. Leave us, yeah, on, on iTunes. All right. Well, let's get into it. So, Matt, what have, uh, what have you been up to these days? Well, it's actually been a pretty busy week, uh, finishing up classes at GBC and starting uh, a new grad class and putting that class together and the finishing touches on that. And just to remind people, you are the dean of the graduate program. Yeah, so as the dean of the graduate program, we're working on a lot of curriculum development. And that means putting courses together, kind of like uh, an assembly line, if you've ever played the, the burger-making video game, where the conveyor <laughs> belt is moving and you have to drop the pieces of the burger on before the burger falls off into the tray. And if you, you know... Which piece are you? Well, I'm, I'm the guy pulling the lever to oh, make right. sure that okay. all of the pieces fall into place <laughs> at the right time. So that keeps me pretty busy. But in the midst of all of that, I'm doing a lot of, I guess I would say, out-of-the-ordinary ministry. It's not ministry in my local church personally, but there's this little church in Crestwood, Illinois called Hilltop Bible Church. Right outside Chicago. Right outside Chicago, south side of Chicago. And we've had an, a neat relationship with that church for, gosh, what, six, seven, eight years. They've been without a pastor and they've mm -hmm. gone through a number of pastoral searches, but they also have some people who have connections with them, uh, former pastors, retired pastors, and they've just been filling their pulpit with whomever they can find right. for the last eight years. It's the pastoral search to end all pastoral searches. <laughs> and it's a really, it's a neat church, uh, really sweet people. They're very faithful, uh, but it's a congregation where everyone is 55 and older. Mm -hmm. And when my wife and I go down and we bring our children, it's just this huge blessing for them because they never hear children's feet running around. And yeah. we're trying to tell the kids, don't run in the church because <laughs> it's this tiny little one room church. Uh, but they say, no, we love to hear the kids running yeah. through the church. Um, so you go to, you've you been preaching down there? or I, I preached once down there uh, last Sunday. But last week, this past Sunday, uh, my family and I were in Nolansville, Tennessee, which oh, is yeah. just about half an that hour. That sprawling metropolis of Nolansville. It's just a few minutes south of Nashville and um, participated in a wedding there for a couple of my students from Grace Bible College. And that's always um, a neat thing. My wife and I do premarital counseling yeah. for couples, and sometimes they invite us to, to officiate their wedding or be involved in their weddings in some way. And um, So what did you do? Did communion. Okay. 
which was just a tiny little piece of the service. Right. Uh, and just for anyone who's listening who's thinking of getting married outdoors and you want to do communion in your <laughs> wedding, uh, it was a great illustration from the Gospels because uh, the Pharisees strain out a gnat and swallow a camel, Jesus says. <laughs> well, there's a reason why they have the little filter over their wine cup to strain out the gnats, because there is a decent amount of gnats in that communion cup. <laughs> That's awesome. Extra protein. <laughs> yeah. So you mentored these students or you, you yeah, did we, counseling we with them? Yeah, we walk through them uh, through a book that we use. We use the Preparing for Marriage series by Family Life, and we really like it. We... Uh, love walking with couples on the journey toward marriage. It's something that my wife and I really mm. value. We put a lot of time into these couples. Uh, it's one of the most rewarding things that we do. Kind of going back to what we talked about last week, that kind of all stages and you as someone who's had experience with marriage is able to speak into their lives in a way that's powerful. For sure. And our commitment to these couples goes beyond their wedding day. Uh, we say to them, we're always going to be here for you. We're your number one fans. We're supporting you in your marriage. So if you have problems or if you have life issues or you need help in any way, or uh, we want to celebrate with you, you know, right. the good things that are happening too, and really building a community around this idea of marriage and strengthening mm-hmm. their marriages. So what have you been up to at your church, Grace Bible Fellowship? Are you, st- are you an elder there right now? I'm an elder at Grace Bible Fellowship, and I do some teaching of adults but really, I see my main ministry as trying to support our pastors and encourage them as they're executing the vision of the church. Your church is kind of similar to mine in that your elders, for the most part, are older than your pastoral staff. So is that unique in a way? Does that add any wrinkles into the, your normal eldership ministry? That is a pretty unique dynamic of our church is that we have a young leadership, and that's something we talk about in the leadership is as something we value. We really see our church as intentionally a place where young pastors can come and develop the skills for ministry, uh, and we provide an opportunity for them to not be the best preachers in the world, maybe not be the best visionary leaders in the world when they come in, Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily be the best pastoral caretakers. And we've taken some criticism for that from congregation members saying, I've got teenagers, I've got real life marriage problems. I need someone who has some gravitas to be my pastor. And we say that's a role where we as the elders and as the community of the church can support you. It doesn't have to be the pastor. I think that's an American phenomenon that we want the pastor to give us personal attention. And if not, then I'm not satisfied with the ministry. But what that takes is your elders going into the job with an understanding that this is more than just showing up to a meeting once a month, but they're actually going to have to be shepherding and eldering as well. One of the things I've been kind of working through over the last few years since I've been the senior pastor at Celebration is what should my expectations be of my elders? You know, like these are all guys who have full-time jobs and full-time families and all of that stuff where I'm able to focus more on the church. And so part of me wants to take more from them because of that, but at the same time, they're elders because they want to serve and because they're gifted to serve. And so as a pastor, that's something I am kind of constantly working through of how much should I expect of these guys, um, but how much should I also open the door for them to step in and step up? You have to balance patience with where they are 
and then also their life balance as they're trying to maintain right. um, a sense of healthy whole life. But you also want to challenge them to say, you can step up, you can come up a little higher, you can do more as an elder. Yeah, and I, and I know it's different for different pastors. One of my, I guess, early mentors uh, in the pastoral ministry was a guy named Craig McDonald, who, who was the pastor at Celebration before I even got there. And I know one of his goals is to mentor elders, to bring in these guys who may not necessarily be what we would think of as a equipped, fully molded elder, and through very intentional um, relationship discipling, build that person up to the point where they can elder, and eventually he can even step out of the ministry. And so that's one perspective, whereas something like you, that's probably not going to happen because your pastors are younger, and the elders are in some ways mentoring the pastors. Sometimes, but you'd be surprised. I think there's a professionalization that happens in pastoral ministry where you become the pastor. And I don't, I confess that I don't really know what this is like. Hmm. By devoting yourself 40, 50, sometimes 60 hours a week to ministry, you as a pastor are making giant steps forward in your reading of the scriptures, your understanding of practical theology. There's an intuitive kind of knowledge that develops simply because you're devoting so much time to the ministry. And the, the lay person, even the lay elder, doesn't have that same right. level of experience. So very quickly, this happens very quickly, I've witnessed it a couple of times, where the young pastor coming in, although um, not seasoned in ministry, will, will within a year or two or three years make a transition toward they're absolutely the recognized leader. It's like the concept of learning a language by immersion. For sure. You can sit in a classroom and take six years, but then you move to France and you're speaking in three mm -hmm. months or something like that. Anything that I devote myself to full time, I'm going to get good at that thing. Right. So Jim, what have you been working on? Been working on a lot. I feel like this is the first week in a while where I'm actually able to dedicate the amount of time I like to sermon prep. Uh, right now, as we move into the summer, I'm in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Acts. I kind of was throwing this idea around at the beginning of the year of doing an entire year, so 52 sermons that were all like essentially narrative sermons. I really like this, the idea of storytelling. Retelling the story Retelling of the, the story, yeah, rather than not even an exegetical teaching, but a, a retelling, right, of the story. And so I, I had this idea of what if we did an entire year of just storytelling? And I threw that idea out to a few people, and most people's response was, well, that might work. And so I kind of got the idea that it might be a little more than, than I could chew. So I kind of whittled it down uh, to two or three major series throughout the year, which are going to be focused on narrative storytelling. And so this is, is one of them. But one of the things that comes up pretty quickly as you work through Acts is it's such a theologically rich narrative. So it's been, a, it's been an experience trying to kind of balance the storytelling, but also do justice to the theology that, that we're finding in there. So I've been working on that, uh, which has been great, but also I've been doing a lot of just pastoring uh, a funeral yesterday, uh, did an in-home visit last week, got a couple hospital visits on schedule coming up this week. And so 
you know, that's the type of thing that I love doing, but it also is one of those things where you gotta, you gotta find the balance in your, in your schedule between different meetings and visitations and all of that stuff, but constantly recentering, at least I try to constantly recenter myself to the fact that this is why I pastor, (laughs) not to teach a sermon, you know, people are going to forget the sermon next week or in two weeks or whatever, but they're going to remember when I come and, and, and I'm a part of their life. So, How do you make the transition from sermon prep to staff meeting to hospital visitation to funeral prep? I mean, that's a typical week right. for, for probably most pastors. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate those transitions where you really have to have a different mindset for each of those things? I try to be fairly structured in my schedule. I seriously have above my desk like a color-coded schedule that kind of blocks out the days and in hour chunks. And so what I try to do is on Tuesdays, I try to focus on sermon prep and I try to spend the whole day um, getting getting into that mode of prepping sermons. And so if people want to meet or get together, unless they have to do it on Tuesday, I try to do that on Monday or Wednesday or Friday, but I try to keep Tuesday as a sermon day. Mondays, uh, I try to make my visitation day. And so if I have a couple of visitations that are not pressing, but are just, you know, I want to go visit somebody in their home or, or something like that, I'll try to do that on Mondays. So I structure myself, which helps me to kind of switch modes. <laughs> kind of a mental cue. That yeah, helps you exactly. Say, Get into this mindset because this is coming up next. Right. So when I wake up on Tuesday morning, I, you know, get into sermon mode because I'm going to be prepping for sermon, trying to get in the office at the same time on Tuesday. You know, I kind of think of baseball pitchers. They'll have this same meal that they eat every time they pitch. It just kind of helps them get into that zone and got to throw that 90 mile an hour sermon right down the heart of the plate. Sometimes it's a knuckleball. <clears throat> I'm the R.A. Dickey of preachers. Love the knuckleball. It's a great documentary. We should make that. That was a really good documentary. We should make that documentary for preaching. <laughs> knuckleball preacher. <laughs> it's a dying a dying species. There's only like three of them in the whole country. <laughs> so yeah, so those are some of the main things I'm working on. This summer, though, I think we're probably like a lot of small churches in that we know we need to have a strong men's ministry, but that would involve me running a very strong men's ministry, and I just don't have the time or really even the gifting, the strengths to do that. So this summer I'm going to be working with uh, my intern, Joe, and one of our elders to try to put something together. He, my elder, has come to the multiple board meetings with this real deep passion for men's ministry, and he doesn't know where it's coming from, and I tell him, I know where it's coming from, and, and keep stoking it. And so here's gonna, this is going to be an opportunity for me to empower ministry from an elder and kind of help him, but more so let him run with it. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops. That's such a great example of of shared ministry in pastoral leadership where you can't do everything. You right. can't do everything that you're already doing and start a new men's ministry that's going to thrive. That, that's got to come from a lay leader, an elder in your church who has the passion for it, right. maybe has the gifting for it, but doesn't have the knowledge or the tools, and that's an equipping function you can yeah, and they, you can play. The, the, the challenge in what I've found in the past is you want to give them room, 
but you don't want to be too hands-off. In the past, I've kind of said, yeah, go for it. Do whatever you want to do and just kind of stood in the background. And sometimes I think there needs to be a little bit more of a coaching mentality to kind of helping to lead while giving a really big sandbox for them to lead Mm in. Um, And so that's something that I'm continuing to learn how to do that. Because any, they're going to be more successful in something that they are passionate about, even the, the structure, right? If I give them the structure, say, this is what your men's ministry needs to look like, it's going to be hard for them to get, get super excited about that. But if it's their vision and their dream, I think it's going to be more successful. That's awesome. It's great to catch up with you and just find out what the, what the rigors of pastoral life are like on a weekly basis for you. Uh, and bounce some ideas off each other. Yeah, it's good to catch up. Yep, so we'll uh, be back in just a minute with Jared Coots. Welcome back. We're with Pastor Jared Coos of Georgetown Grace Church in Hudsonville, Michigan. Jared, it's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Hey, Jared. So I think your situation is pretty unique pretty interesting, pretty great from from the perspective of Matt and I. When you graduated from college, I'm sure like most Bible college graduates, prospective pastors, we all have this dream of going to this cool church with flashing lights and thousands of people hearing our sermons on Sunday and creating a podcast that just goes viral on iTunes. Gets huge. Gets huge. (laughs) And just, we all have these like really huge, like, oh yeah, we're going to be the next whatever. And all you have to do is prepare your sermon each week. (laughs) Yeah. And nobody ever bothers you with other things. Right. But your church is quite a bit different than what we just described. Can you tell us a little bit about the makeup of your church? Yeah, Georgetown is a, it's really a country church uh, in a land that's becoming a little bit less country and a little bit more suburbia. It's uh, about 20 to 25 people each week. On a good Sunday, we get uh, everybody there, and that's about 30 people. Uh, and so it's uh, it's an older, uh, more, more experienced church. <laughs> uh, the average age of the congregation, if you're not counting my young family, is about 75. Uh, almost everybody there is retired. Uh, and so it's a, it's a really interesting makeup for me coming in as a young guy, uh, ministering alongside and with these these more experienced Christians. So what was the, the thought process that you had? You know, like I just said, I imagine if you're anything like, like me, you kind of think, okay, I'm going to go into ministry and I'm going to, it's going to look like this. What was your thought process when you hear, here's a small church of older people in the country that are asking for you to come? Like, did you immediately think, oh yeah, that's what I want to do? Or was there any doubt or conflict in your mind? Just kind of talk through the process of of you going to the church. Yeah, for me, a lot of it is God got me there and there was a process for that. And then there was a really distinct difference between that and then my decision to stay there and remain there. Mm. So I was doing my internship, as I said, in Wisconsin, and I was getting ready to come home. It was a six-month internship. I was getting ready to come home, propose to my then-girlfriend, and really didn't have much to do. And so God opened this door. Uh, This woman who schedules guest preachers for Georgetown uh, contacted the pastor of the church in Wisconsin, and really from there we started talking about me coming and and preaching once in a while. And so for me, that was the only door that was open. 
Uh, I sort of picture this idea of God opening doors as uh, this big building, and I really thought I would open this door to Georgetown and it would be a hallway that led to other doors. Hmm. Uh, And then uh, from there I'd find a door that was really more of a full-time ministry or maybe even being an associate pastor uh, in a a larger church, not a mega church by any means, but in a a church that in my mind at the time would be more significant and fulfilling of a Mm. ministry. And so I, I walked through this door. It looked a bit like a hallway at first. And the more time I spent there, the more I realized this is a, a significant room with significant people uh, and significant opportunity for me to uh, really express myself and live out my calling and identity as pastor, but also to minister and love people. I think that significance, that's such an important word that I, I think really solidifies what it means to understand that all people, all churches have this innate value. And we tend to prioritize the things that are new and the things that are young and the things that are hip and say, well, you know, you older people, you had your day, but now you're just kind of in the way of where the church should be going. And that's such a a backwards mentality, I think, to the biblical concept of elders, right? Respecting those who are older and, and treasuring those and learning from those. But it also, I think, just defeats the sanctity of life that we as as Christians claim to have a hold on, you know, that we value life in all its stages. Yet, if you're too old, you know, get out of our way. These people, even though it's a small country church, are important and valuable. I think that's awesome. And we're not going to consign them to filling the pulpit. Right. Uh, there needs to be a pastor. There needs to be a shepherd, someone who's caring for the, the flock in of this congregation. And you're not a second-class church because you're an older church or because right. you're a smaller church or because you're a country church, uh, that they're equally valuable. I also wonder, uh, as I've talked to pastors, young pastors, there's also a pragmatic dimension of how are you going to make a living? Was that a struggle for you? When I started the ministry there, it wasn't a major issue. I think part of the reason I I initially wanted to look for something a little bit larger uh, was uh, financial reasons. Uh, Really selfishly, I was looking for more money uh, to support my family, but also looking for more opportunity to really feel fulfilled. Uh, That wasn't something that initially was a major issue. The people at Georgetown have been incredibly generous Uh, But now my wife and I are expecting twins uh, by the end of the summer. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, And that the money aspect, the financial support really does become uh, an issue. What are you going to do? Some of it is really about self-discipline when it comes to finances, uh, you know, budgeting and all those things and being a good steward of the resources I have. A Mm. lot of it is just walking in faith. And trusting that if God is going to give me these children uh, of his to take care of, uh, then not only am I going to be capable of doing that as a parent, but he will provide for me in whatever I need to do so. Hmm. I think that's so important for our listeners to hear and for young pastors to hear is that the ministry of the gospel and, and loving people and ministering to people has its own rewards. It has its own economy that that has to do with faithfulness and stewardship and God providing. And it is so easy to get caught up in um, even a corporate ladder kind of mentality when it comes to pastoral ministry, that there is this uh, high-paying, high-status, high-rewards 
job that's out there and I'm going to be climbing up until I reach that pinnacle. And uh, your testimony is uh, so encouraging because uh, you're teaching us, I think you're challenging us to think about how we approach our ministries. I think some of us have this view of ourselves that say, oh, well, God has gifted me in this way. And so he wouldn't want me to waste it here or to keep it here. And I think that that is dismissing the people that you're ministering to as saying they're not important enough. But I think it's also saying, you know, God's plan more than God does. You know, maybe he does want you to just use your ministry here and to be engaged in that community. And so, yeah, I think that's great. Jared, how do you preach and prepare messages and teach and lead this congregation that's significantly older than you, two generations older than you. How do you find um, cultural connections? Cultural connections, but then also... Are they on um, Snapchat? (laughs) No, no Snapchat. Neither am I. (laughs) I was also thinking about the authority to preach and address a congregation Mm. that's older than you. Sure. Yeah, well, speaking to the relevance and some of the issues there, that is a a point of difficulty for me. I am gifted, I believe, in being able to understand Scripture well, understand God's main point of Scripture. But when it comes to application uh, and how that works out and expressing how that works out in everyday life, you know, I struggle with that even when I'm talking to people my own age. And so to bring that into this world of, of retirement and medical bills and, uh, and aches and pains that I have yet to experience <laughs> and watching grandchildren uh, walk away from the faith and, and, and all these struggles that come with being significantly older than I am now, it's difficult. You know, a lot of, a lot of the struggle comes in, in that application But one of the things I learned at Grace Bible College about preaching was really emphasized in sort of an acting segment we did. Pastor Gary was teaching the class. He brought somebody in who was an actress, and we really had to just uh, be given these roles and step into these roles and imagine ourselves as this person in this town, Mm -hmm. this character. And a lot of that, I mean, maybe this sounds a bit fake, but a lot of it is really trying to imagine myself in their world, in their shoes, and being able to say this is how this passage would apply to these moments. Mm. I think I mean that's kind of what I do as well when I preach. I try to always have like three or four kind of specific demographics in mind, thinking, okay, how is this sermon going to be heard by the single mom or the grandfather or you know the guy who just got fired from his job? And, and it's difficult, but I think that's a, a worthy process that becomes really helpful. In addressing the question about authority, and when it comes to really the practical ministry, this is another area where I struggle with because I've been married for almost two years now. Uh, these people who have been married for 50 years or celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary aren't coming to me with marital issues if they have any. Uh, so when it comes to counseling, that's not something I really experience on a daily basis because there's not a lot of opportunity that's given to me. When it comes to authority when it, uh, with preaching, a lot of that comes with relying and resting on the authority of Scripture. And I do whatever I can to remove myself from the situation. So when they look at me, they see somebody who takes Scripture seriously and expects them to do so too. And that's really, that's the solution, I think, to anybody's authority issues. One of the things that I think has been documented by postmodernists is the source of authority has really shifted uh, over the last 
few decades, whereas the people who, who may be of, of your church's generation understand authority as a position based on a title in many ways. So when you say, I am a pastor or I am a city official or whatever, there's an innate sense of authority that comes with that. Whereas younger generations, authority is something that you earn. And I can step into a younger church and say, I'm the pastor and I have no authority until I earn that authority. Is that something that that you've wrestled with or experienced? Do they respect your authority because you are titled their pastor? Is it something that you've had to earn? Is it a combination of the both? Or like you said, do you just not really even worry about that and just stand on scripture? Yeah, I think when it comes to preaching, the authority for a lot of the people in my church does come from me being the pastor, being the one who's standing behind the pulpit and Mm -hmm. has the Bible in hand. But when it comes to the practical side of ministry, as I was speaking on earlier, uh, authority in that area, in that realm of people's lives, that comes from really earning it. And that's something I'm really struggling every day to to earn and still Mm. need to work on. I wonder if there's just no way to rush that. You just have to live it and you won't get there for 10 years, for 15 years, for 20 years. Uh, It's something that only comes with time and experience in the ministry. So one of the things we like to do is to talk about joys and struggle. As you're pastoring, uh, what are some of the things that you really get excited about? What are some of the things that really are kind of a drain? I'll start with the things that excite me. Uh, I really get excited to preach and to teach. I spend a lot of time preparing a sermon, preparing a message. But I also really enjoy the opportunity I've had because as a young guy, I'm pretty ambitious. I'm pretty bold. I haven't quite learned the lesson of, of how long it takes to make changes in a church. Mm. And I happen to be in a church or in this congregation that's very gracious towards me. And so I've been able to step in and, and make suggestions, make changes pretty quickly and pretty dramatically with some support from the congregation, but also patience and understanding that I am young and, and that patience in allowing me to make mistakes has been really good. And I think that comes not only from me showing them grace, but really sharing life, uh, loving people. I wonder if a lot of it also is just the fact that you came to their church. The fact that you say, all right, I'm, I'm coming here and I'm not going to this other church. That's a statement of you are important, you are valuable, I care about you. I think some of it too is, um, is with that trust making sure they know that I'm on their side, yeah. making sure that I love and I respect them where they're at, that when I, when I see an area to change, it's because this is what Scripture says, not this is what culture says or culture demands. I make sure, or I try and make sure they know and understand that I don't want to change who they are or who they're reaching or how they're doing things. I just want to make things a little bit more biblical. And, uh, and with that, they they can look at me and they can find somebody who they can trust because I don't want to change things. Yeah. A lot of the times I hear them approaching me, well, maybe we should start a Facebook page and a Twitter and all these things to get younger people in there. And it's been good, I think, for me to say, it's all right to slow down. It's okay to reach the people we're reaching. Mm-hmm. It's okay to uh, to be uh, shepherds of this kind of flock and yeah. not try and change identities. Yeah, because those types of churches, I feel like don't there's you don't hear about churches that are like intentionally older, you know, like churches are always trying to reach younger people and not 
ever being okay with, okay, we are <laughs> an older congregation and, and we're okay with that. What about the challenges that you face? Oh, yeah. Oh, that wasn't any of the challenges? <laughs> well, I mean, some I think of that. You the, used the word difficult like five <laughs> times in this whole I thing. I mean, so, well, that was just the difficult part of the Jewish <laughs> ministry. I think some of the things that have been brought up so far are really dealing with uh, a church's identity, and we've spoken on uh, a pastor looking at a smaller church and seeing them as uh, being a small church or an old church and slightly insignificant. But I just I think one of the biggest challenges for me is that mentality uh, bleeds through from culture, from other pastors, from pastors that have been at Georgetown before, and that's what the church thinks of themselves. Mm. I think with a lot of smaller churches, most smaller churches, there's a real inferiority complex that people have. Not only do the pastors have it, but the people in the congregation have it. We at Georgetown are surrounded by two or three churches that have at least a thousand people going to them every week. And so when you're right in the middle of that, in the middle of those three huge churches, or outside of that, even surrounded by churches with 100 people or 200 people, it's really easy for the people in the congregation to say, you know, we're old, um, we're, we don't matter, there's nothing for us to do in the community. And one of the big things I've been stressing is trying to get them to not think of themselves as a nursing home kind of church, uh, but really... Uh, even churches that are younger with young families, if they're not growing, if they're not active, if they're not trying to be Christ-like and grow into Christ-likeness, they're really a nursing home kind of church. They're just there waiting in this stage of life until God calls them home. People need to be growing. People need to be experiencing this and coming together, not just to not just to wait until they die, but to really live now and live in the moment no matter what stage in life they are. And that's one of the biggest challenges is getting people to see that they matter, that they're important, that God has called them to ministry. And until he calls them home, they are ministers of the gospel. Yeah, and I think there are plenty of people who have been Christians forever, but have never taken the time to bring that faith into their life. And so, you know, you could have people who are 60 or 70 who just have not been implementing the gospel or infusing their life with the gospel. And so, they may not be new Christians, but they are growing Christians in that way. Jared, what have you been reading? Any book recommendations for us? Now, a few things I've been reading is a, is a trilogy by a man named W. Philip Keller. I love the imagery, the metaphor that Christ presents, that he is the good shepherd, that I am a shepherd of a flock. And there's this, this man who has written this book from the perspective of being a pastor, but also having experience being a real shepherd, an actual literal caregiver for sheep. Sheep man. The actual animal <laughs> right. sheep. Bah. Right. And so, uh, and so we have uh, this biblical identity as pastors of being shepherds and caregivers for a flock. Uh, Paul uses this language. Peter uses this language. Jesus uses this language. And it's really hard to understand if you're not from this world. And uh, I've always kind of wanted to have my own sheep. Who does so, I mean, I think I'm there's, more of a goat man. <laughs> I think there's value in actually caring for just a dumb, fluffy animal. And uh, and this book has really helped me get some perspective, not just on biblical shepherding, but what shepherding looks like today. And it's got a lot of great insights for pastors on how to really love people. All right. Well, thanks, Jared. This has been really great uh, to talk with you and to hear your experience pastoring. And uh, we, we just appreciate you coming. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. 
Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation.